Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Journal of Clinical Pathways podcast. My name is Zach Bissett, the Associate Editor of the Journal, and I am joined by my colleague, Amanda Delsignor, the Managing Editor of the Journal. Our podcast guest today is Dr. Eaton Stein, MD, from the Department of Medicine at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Dr. Stein has presented in the past on IDH2 mutant AML and continued this work with some recent research presented at the ASH annual meeting and exposition in early December. Abstract 287 featured the activity of enacidinib in previously untreated IDH2 mutant AML, results from the BEAT AML master trial. Dr. Stein has come on the podcast to shed further light on his findings. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Stein. Let's start with this question. Why is treating older patient populations with AML an area of unmet need? Sure. So thanks for that question. Um, It's a really good question. There are really two reasons that uh, older patients with AML um, have issues when it comes to being treated for acute myeloid leukemia. And and one of the issues has to do with the biology of the disease. And then the second issue has to do with the treatments that we have available. So as you know, most patients with AML are older. The median age of uh, patients who have this disease is uh, around 68 years old. Um, And in those older patients, it is much more common to have um, what are known as unfavorable risk markers. That is either unfavorable cytogenetics or unfavorable molecular genetics, which makes their disease um, more resistant to treatment, specifically to um, induction-type chemotherapy. In addition, the patient factors are that the treatments that we have or that we have had up to very, very recently um, like induction chemotherapy, you know, can cause fairly significant morbidity and mortality. Uh, what's known as the induction uh, mortality rate, that is death within 30 days of receiving traditional induction chemotherapy with um, drugs like uh, donorubicin and cytarabine, um, depending on the study, ranges between 5 and 10%. Um, so when you combine those two things, so number one, that these patients have high-risk disease, they can be very resistant to chemotherapy, and that even when you give them chemotherapy, um, all sorts of bad things can happen because of the toxicity of the chemotherapy. That's really what makes uh, the disease um, difficult to treat in an older adult. So, you know, the ways to, to get around that issue are twofold. So one way would be to come up with therapies that are um, more potent or better Um, so that they can overcome the unfavorable uh, biology of the disease. And the second way would be to come up with therapies that are less toxic, Um, because if you can do that, then um, you may not lose as many patients uh, while you're giving them treatment. Do you want to briefly explain the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's BAML master trial? Why is the trial being conducted, and how is precision medicine incorporated into the trial? The reason for BDAML or the rationale behind BDAML really builds off what I just said. And that is, we know that these patients older than the age of 60 um, don't do particularly well for the reasons I, I mentioned a second ago. Um, so, what we're aiming for in the BDAML trial is to come up with therapies that are um, more effective, more targeted, and less toxic so that we can improve the overall survival of these patients. Um, We do this by taking a precision medicine approach. And what that means is looking for specific genetic abnormalities that are driving and causing these patients acute myeloid leukemia, and then using uh, targeted therapies either alone or in combination with standard of care therapies like hypomethylating agents 
to improve the outcomes of these patients with less toxicity. Um, the reason this is important is, number one, we think that using a precision medicine approach makes a lot of sense. We know that AML um, ha almost always has at least one and sometimes multiple driver mutations. So if you target them, you can potentially um, improve the, the outcome of these patients. But there, there's another thing that comes up, which is that, you know, until very recently, there was this thought that AML had to be treated like the minute you saw it. So if a patient presented to the hospital with AML, they needed to get treatment the next day. When it comes to precision medicine, the, the issue that comes up with that is that it often can take, um, you know, days a week before you have your genetic results um, available that would dictate your therapy. So really, the, the primary goal of the master trial of BDAML is to prove the hypothesis that we can get genetic results back on these patients' uh, leukemia samples within seven days, and that we can then act on those results quickly. And with acting on those results, it will not impact um, the, the outcome of the patients. That is, so waiting seven days to get the results, well, number one, being sure we can get the results within seven days, and number two, waiting those seven days will not um, adversely uh, impact how the patient is going to do. How did enacidinib fare in both combinations with standard of care therapies as well as monotherapy in newly diagnosed patients with IDH2 mutated AML? The results we're going to be presenting uh, at ASH um, really focus primarily on the monotherapy group. We don't have a lot of data yet on the combination therapy group. Let me just step back and tell you how this trial is, is designed. So the patients come into, if you're older than the age of 60, you want to sign up for the BDAML trial. You sign up, you get a uh, bone marrow biopsy, and then if in that bone marrow biopsy you have a mutation in IDH2, you're assigned to the IDH2 mutant arm. What that arm consists of is treatment with a single-agent drug called enacidinib, which is a um, the only uh, IDH2 inhibitor approved for relapsed and refractory acute myeloid leukemia. It's not yet approved for newly diagnosed acute myeloid leukemia. Um, so patients get up to five cycles of the IDH2 inhibitor enacidinib, it's an oral medication taken uh, once daily, which is very well tolerated. If patients um, achieve a complete remission or a um, complete remission with incomplete blood count recovery by the end of the fifth cycle, uh, they are then allowed to continue on the monotherapy. Patients who don't achieve a complete remission go on to combination therapy with the IDH inhibitor enacidinib and uh, the standard of care medicine azacitidine. So what we're going to be talking about at ASH is how these monotherapy patients um, did. So the, the long and short of it is that the patients do very, very well. So um, to date, we've treated 27 patients on this arm of the study, on the IDH2 mutant arm. Um, the drug has been uh, remarkably safe. Really, the biggest um, side effect we've seen is what's called differentiation syndrome. Differentiation syndrome occurs when you're giving people drugs that are differentiation agents, which is what enosidinib is which causes immature uh, leukemia cells to mature to normal white blood cells. When that happens, patients can get um, fluid accumulation in the lungs, fluid, fluid accumulation in the legs, um, and that's been the most uh, uh, pronounced adverse event that we've seen. It's been um, easily managed with steroids. In terms of responses, um, the overall response rate for these patients have been 44%. Um, so nearly half of the patients have had a response. Um, if you break up the responses sort of by the best response category, 37% of the patients have had a complete remission, 7.4% uh, of the patients 
have had a uh, complete remission with incomplete blood count recovery. So, um, you know, wh what we're showing here, and I think what is really exciting, is that uh, with a single agent oral medication that you take at home um, with really minimal toxicity, um, you can induce a remission in uh, nearly 50% of patients, 44% of patients. Um, and that is uh, really remarkable. In patients who have um, IDH mutations with co-occurring mutations in genes in the RAS pathway, only one out of six of those patients responded to NSFNIB on this trial. So you can imagine that if you then modified the trial, and we haven't done this yet, but if you modified the trial to say, you know what, I know patients with RAS pathway mutations um, really are unlikely to respond. Um, we're going to come up with a different strategy for that patient group. You would potentially even boost that response rate that I mentioned, the 44%, even, even higher. So what, what this trial has also allowed us to do, that's what I just told you, is a, sort of a long way of saying that what this trial has also allowed us, uh, us to do is to understand who might not respond so that those patients who were getting precision medicine on this arm of the trial can potentially be rolled into or treated on an arm yet to be developed where they will have a greater chance of response. How can these results benefit the AML community at large? And specifically, what audience do you hope to target? And what do you hope that they take from your presentation? What I'm hoping that the audience takes away from the presentation is, is really twofold. One is that for patients with newly diagnosed AML older than the age of 60, um, the, who have an IDH2 mutation, the preliminary results would suggest that this is a very effective drug. Um, and it's a drug that um, in certain patients should definitely be considered um, as potentially even frontline therapy. Um, the patient population I'm thinking of is the one where um, one might not be able to give them induction chemotherapy because they uh, have you know, medical problems that would, that would keep that from uh, being a good approach. So I, I think that that is, is the, number, the number one thing I'd want people to take away. I think the, the overall message would be, though, that precision medicine in the treatment of acute myeloid leukemia is feasible and that these precision medicine trials that we're doing um, not only are good for the patients who respond, but they also really teach us something about sort of what the next trial should be and that this is a trial that therefore doesn't just end when this trial is over, but it allows us to build upon the results that, that we um, are going to be presenting at the meeting. So, Dr. Stein, to wrap it up, I wanted to offer you the floor. If there are any other important points or parting messages you'd like to make, any aspects of the BEAT AML master trial that we didn't get to talk about that you'd like to discuss, is there anything at all you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I would say is that um, the only way these trials are able to, to work is that um, patients get referred in to have the trials done. Um, it's really important, I think, um, for the treatment of AML that, that really all patients, if possible, go on a clinical trial. Um, although, you know, there's a lot of excitement with what's going on in AML in terms of new drug approvals, in terms of better therapies. You know, the, the, the sad truth is that it's still a terrible disease and most patients um, still don't do very well. Um, and, and in order to really make progress, um, patients need to go on clinical studies. So specifically for the BDAML trial, I would encourage, um, you know, any practicing clinician uh, to go to clinicaltrials.gov and search for the BDAML trial 
or to go to the website of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society um, to look and see where there might be a site um, uh, in the country that is participating in the BDAML trial and to refer that patient um, for, for potential participation. All right. Thank you for joining us today, and best of luck with your research endeavors moving forward.